0: Christian Circle podcast, and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez, where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to the Christian Circle Podcast. This is episode 15. Yay! We've actually reached episode 15, something that I hadn't envisioned at the beginning of the year, but uh, this is a really special episode. So on this episode, uh, we're going to talk about the Magi or the Magi, however you want to pronounce that. And Charles, our recurring guest, has uh, come back again, thankfully, to help us out with this topic. And he's uncovered a wealth of information about the three wise men from the East, Now, before we go on to the podcast, I want to share that this is a show that is sponsored by a generous benefactor, namely Agnes Amos Coleman. She's a prominent businesswoman and also the author of God Cares For Me in every season. Now, she's also giving away her Christmas gift to us. That is basically a gift to all of our listeners, at least five of them. So she's giving away her book, God Cares For Me in every season, five copies of them to our lucky listeners. So the raffle. the widget will be on my website that is pamelaqfernandez.com and I will share all those details at the end of the show but before we go on I just want to tell you that Agnes has decided to give this book to our listeners uh, for free as a gift and she's also donating all of her proceeds all uh, 90% of her proceeds from this book are going to go to the charities she's written other books for professionals as well But this book is basically insights about singleness, marriage and divorce. And she shares some practical information about how God's grace shines through and how God is faithful to you in every every season and how he proves his faithfulness to you in every way. So this is a book that you can definitely give away uh, as a gift to somebody who's struggling through their singleness, somebody who is having problems within their marriage, or even someone who's heartbroken over separation, or who's been divorced and doesn't know what to do next. And she shares how, you know, God will steer you back to his designs, to his plans, and how how there is this miraculous hope that is present in God always. And that um, she shares also this this roadmap, this way of uh, how you can get through heartbreak, how you steer away from you know the worldly issues and and go back to the Christian virtues and morality that that a lot of people have kind of thrown away. So it's a good book. It's a good self help book that you can give away to people who are you know struggling with any of these situations in their life, whether they're single, whether they're married, whether they're going through a separation, and it would be nice if if you'd like you could always sign up for the giveaway we have five copies which will be until the end of december so um if you want sign up for the book or you can go on amazon where on kindle unlimited this book is actually free so you can always pick up the book from amazon or you can actually go to my website and sign up for a free giveaway the end of this episode so today uh, i also want to say thank you um we had one thousand plays on our podcast, which is something that is amazing. Uh, I never thought that uh, you know people would be listening to us, but we've had some amazing guests, and they've shared their wisdom, they've shared their personal lives, and um, they've shared so much about their their knowledge, their experiences in within the church, and. I am truly grateful to all of them for sharing this information because that has led to all of you listening to us over a thousand times. So I'm, I'm really thankful. I'm really grateful to everybody who has listened to us. I also want to say thank you for your prayers because we're praying for you too. We've come back from our prayer time. We finished our sacrament of reconciliation. We're going to Latin Vespers today, so we're going to pray for you and i Apart from that, we're definitely planning for the year ahead. We're going to be here next year as well. We've already spoken to recurring guests. We've spoken to some speakers, some potential people who could come on the show. And so we've hit the ground running for next year already. And you can share us with other people because we won't be going away anytime soon. Thank you to everyone, all of our guests. I want to say a special thank you to all the people who came here on the show. I mean, it was amazing to have you here. Thank you for speaking to us, for sharing us with your friends, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know how else to say this, but I'm really, really grateful uh, for all that uh, you've shared with us. So today is a long episode. It's about, uh, I think, about 45 minutes long, and it's it's a ton of information. Uh, like I said, for five verses in Matthew's Gospel, there's a lot to learn about the three wise men, and I'm sure there's, there's something in it that you probably did even know existed, so there's there's a lot that Charles uncovered uh, during his research, and I think it would really help on on the three wise men and, and the meaning of adoration, the meaning of worship, uh, the meaning of the gifts. So uh, don't go away. Listen to our podcast today. And uh, if you enjoy it, uh, let me know. Share your comments with us. Share us on your social media and uh, leave, us, leave us some feedback and um, some advice if you have any. I have to say today's episode is definitely divinely inspired because we didn't plan on this topic before. Uh, it just came through prayer and, you know, it's something that I personally learned a lot from because I didn't know so many things about the three wise men and, and, and all of these things that happen in four lines. So um, stick around for the end of the show as well. Um, I'm going to share the gift and I'm going to share some other information as well. So don't leave us. Uh, I'll see you at the end of the show for now. Here's the show.
1: Well, uh, the magi, uh, you know, they only appear one time in scripture. You know, it's only a, it's really a short, Mm -hmm. mentioned, too. It's in the the second chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. And uh, the word magi uh, really, it only appears as one time in the whole whole Bible, just one time. And so there's, you know, a couple different schools of thought of where it comes from. Uh, A lot of people seem to think that it was astrologers from like Persia, Mm -hmm. in the Persian area, or that it was uh, meaning like a a Zoroastrian, which Mm -hmm. is still around Zoroastrianism. But uh, a priestly caste of the Zorian were called Magis, yeah. you know, so Magi comes down to Magi. It's actually where we get the English word magic. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's where they kind of come from. They come from the east and they told Herod when they arrived mm-hmm. in uh, in Jerusalem that they came from the east mm-hmm. and they seen the star mm-hmm. that rose in the east and they asked for the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives us a hint that they're not Jews. Because, you know, the Jews were in the diaspora, you know, they were off in Babylon and Persia. So they were there and there were some left behind when they come back to Israel. Mm-hmm. So there's some people that have said, well, maybe they were Jews that kind of knew the Messiah coming and everything and they come back. Mm-hmm. But when they come to Jerusalem, they ask for the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting phrase because you only hear it from the Magi, mm-hmm. the Magi or from when Pontius Pilate has it nailed above Jesus's cross. Yeah. That's the only two times. Any time, other time, they refer to Jesus. The Jews themselves would refer to Jesus as the King of Israel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. You know, so it's very that's kind of a, an indicator that they aren't Jews from mm-hmm. you know that were left over in Babylon from the time of the you know the uh, when they were carried off into exile. So we know they're Gentiles, mm-hmm. and they come saying that they uh, we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Yeah. So th- that begs the question: Is how do they know about the King of the Jews to begin with? Yeah. And I found it very interesting that was uh, I recently read. Uh, by Benedict the 16 Jesus of Nazareth, mm-hmm. Infancy Narratives. Mm-hmm. And it was actually just a few weeks, just a couple weeks ago, I finished it. And one of the interesting things he talked about was uh, Balaam from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Balaam, mm-hmm. Uh, in Numbers 22 through 24. He was a prophet. He was Balaam, the son of Beor. Mm-hmm. And this king of Moab brought him in to curse the Jews as the Jews were coming through, as the Israelites were coming through the area, trying to make it to the promised land with Moses. And he brought them in to curse them, and he wouldn't curse them. He kept like saying what God told him to say. It was blessings upon Israel mm-hmm. two or three times mm-hmm. until finally until finally he kind of had enough of it. You know, He told them, you know, curse them the third time, and the donkey spoke and told him, don't do it, because you know, Balaam was being kind of mm-hmm. rebellious against it. But Balaam gave a prophecy, and it's in uh, Numbers 24, 17. And mm-hmm. it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Mm-hmm. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Mm-hmm. It shall cross the forehead of Moab, and break all the sons of Seth. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is in 19, I want to say 67, mm-hmm. they found a, uh, a stone tablet inscription uh, mm-hmm. close to Damascus. It, was in C- or it might have been in Jordan. And it was about the prophet, this prophet that lived there named Balaam, son of Beor. Mm-hmm. So beyond, way beyond Israel, he was a known prophet mm-hmm. of, the, of the Mesopotamian region. So mm-hmm. that prophecy that he gave of uh, the star rising out of Jacob mm-hmm. And you know, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That that was probably known in the eastern, the eastern reaches, like the Persian kind of area, because mm-hmm. he was a known prophet. I so thought that was kind of interesting. So that's why they followed that start of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and from there they made it to Bethlehem.
0: They have been uh, identified as saints. Uh-huh. Have they been canonized? Um, I don't know. Uh,
1: in the eastern, in some of the eastern churches, they've been canonized. Okay. You know. But in uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, I don't think they've been officially canonized. Mm-hmm. But they've been—it's been kind of like by popular acclamation, yeah. you know, like Saint Dismas or Dismas, uh, you know, the the Good Thief on the cross. Yeah. Uh, There's kind of like a, a popular, you know, acclamation. They've been kind of regarded as saints because they were the first, they're the first to come and worship Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the the traditional names that we know them as is, you know, Caspar, Malachar, and Elazar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that's the three names. But really, I mean, in the in the text itself, it's literally it's only like five sentences about them, and yeah. it doesn't mention their names at all, so we really don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the thing, another thing that I really find interesting too is they come to Jerusalem because you know the King of the Jews is going to be born. Where's the capital of the Jews? It's Jerusalem. Yeah. So they come to Jerusalem and they ask around mm-hmm. you know where do we find this newborn King? Mm-hmm. And so Herod goes to his scribes and like the kind of the religious authorities and ask mm-hmm. them where is this King supposed to be born? Yeah. And they come back and say Bethlehem. And so he tells them Bethlehem, he sends them on their way, but he tells them to tell him when they find them so that he can come to worship them, but he really is looking to kill them. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really, the thing that gets me is the people closest to this, so these Gentile wise men from far off in the East come traveling a long distance to find the Messiah. And here they were, the scribes, and they knew that it was supposed to be in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is only about 15 or 20 miles from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't travel that 15 or 20 miles to see for themselves. They would just, ignore it. Mm You know, like that's kind of if the people closest to it mm-hmm. just let it pass them by. Yeah. Just like later on, Jesus would say, you know, if you knew the time of your visitation was at hand, yeah. when he was coming into Jerusalem, he said, Oh Jerusalem, if you knew the time of your visitation was at hand, how I weep for you, because they were letting their moment just completely pass them by, mm-hmm. and they probably didn't even realize it.
0: Mm-hmm. Were there only three people? Because I keep reading in, in different places that there were more than three, three of them that traveled, but it was just three. Yeah. People that
1: gave, gave no, service. we don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't know. Uh, traditionally, it's been said to be three because of the three gifts. Yeah. You know, so you'd assume that if you're coming to meet the king, the king of the Jews, who that you also know was the Messiah, you know, mm-hmm. if you're coming to meet him, you'd bring a gift. Yeah. So if there's only three gifts, there's only three people. Yeah. But I mean, there could have been wagons full of gold, wagons full of frankincense, wagons full of myrrh, and mm-hmm. like, you know, we don't. That might have just been the three categories of gifts, and there was tons of it. I don't know. Yeah. It really, it really doesn't say, and you know, it. Traditionally, it was only three three wise men. They've even been upgraded to kings sometimes, yeah. depending on who you talk to, mm-hmm. cause, uh, because of the gold and stuff. But you know, as far as we know, it was three of them, mm-hmm. as far as we can guess you know, infer from what we read in the text.
0: So uh, what about St. Nicholas as well? Um, what is the background of, of him becoming so popular uh, around Christmas time? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Magi celebrate their feast on the 6th of January. St. Nicholas celebrates mm-hmm. his feast on the 6th of uh, December. So
1: mm-hmm. uh, what's, what's so special about his background? Uh, he, was, uh, he was a uh, of Greek origin. He lived in uh, a time of real bad persecution for the church. It you was know, mm-hmm. right around the time of the, uh, I think his parents died when he was young. He was born around 280, and he died uh, in the mid-4th century. Mm-hmm. So that last, that last 10, 20 years of the 3rd century, the 280s, 290s, that was some really bad times for the church. Mm-hmm. And his parents died at an early age. I don't know if they were martyred or not. I really couldn't find any information on that, but he was raised by his uncle, who was a bishop also, okay. and uh, his name was Nicholas too. Mm-hmm. And he was raised by him, and he made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land as a young man, and then he come back to Myrna, where he was a bishop, and he, well, where he became bishop later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, a great fighter for Orthodoxy too, you know, for the, the right interpretation of, you know, what was the Word of God at the time that they knew, because they didn't have a fully developed canon yet, yeah. for what they understood what the Church passed down through sacred tradition of especially Christology. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a very big defender of Christology because at the time there was this, this heresy raging called the Arian heresy mm-hmm. that denied the divinity of Christ. Okay. And St. Nicholas actually went to the Council of Nicaea that we say the Nicene Creed every Sunday at Mass. Mm-hmm. He was one of the bishops that signed on to the Nicene Creed to, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus Christ you know, was the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, life from life, all that wording to defend that Christ isn't a created creature. Christ is, you know, consubstantial with mm-hmm. the Father. And uh, it kind of got heated back and forth, and he ended up punching Arius in the face, legend says. <laughs> and uh, there's that side of St. Nicholas, too. There's the jolly giving kids presents side, and then there's the punching heretics in the face side. So I kind of like the balance there, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so St. Nicholas was actually a person who came from a very wealthy family, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, isn't it said that his he, he disposed of all of his wealth and decided to become uh, a priest?
1: Yeah, after being... Uh, so he inherited... Uh, inherited a substantial amount of money from when his parents died when he was young, he was young, like I said, and he never really was, it it seemed like from everything I've read about St. Nicholas, he wasn't really attached to wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, he used wealth to fund his trip, he used his substantial wealth, because going on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, even though he only lived not that far away in, uh, you know, southern Turkey, kind of western Anatolia, even though he didn't live that far away, it was still a regular person, because back then there wasn't like middle class like we think of nowadays, it was Mm -hmm. poor and it was wealthy, and so... A regular person couldn't really make that kind of a trip, so he used his wealth to further certain things, yeah. but he wasn't really attached to it. You know, he owned stuff instead of stuff owning him, okay. and that's really a good way to look at things: is is not to let your material possessions own you. Mm-hmm. You know, he took and he used what God had given him, and he went on a pilgrimage and he put it towards good things. And then after he became a priest, he must have still had because you know the stories of him. There was a few different stories of mm-hmm. uh, young women. It was either young women couldn't afford a dowry or there was young women being sold into prostitution. depends on the story, you know, yeah. but he would put gold coins, little bags of gold coins to their window into their shoes mm-hmm. so that they could afford a dowry. Because if you couldn't afford a dowry, you couldn't get married. And if you couldn't get married then if you didn't become a prostitute, it was assumed you were a prostitute. So it was kind of a, a lose, lose, lose for a, a single woman back then, you know, okay. and he used his whatever wealth he had left after he became a priest to, you know, to help other people.
0: What does it mean when you have um, these rich priests from these rich Gentiles traveling 12 months to come and see a babe uh, in in a manger? What does it mean that St. Nicholas gives away all of his wealth and decides to forsake everything for for a savior? What does it mean for for people like us?
1: Well, it really shows you where their priorities are. I mean, imagine... If you had enough wealth to travel from the east in a caravan, like you'd have to cross the desert in a caravan, you'd brought all this gold and frankincense and myrrh and stuff, and you arrive in Bethlehem. Yeah. And it says that they went into the house. So it's a little time after Jesus. It's not like the night, cause we picture the night Jesus yeah. was born. The shepherds are there, the magi is there. Like everyone's all there at the same <laughs> time. But Herod had all the babies two years old and younger killed. Killed, yeah. In the slaughter of the innocents. Mm-hmm. So Jesus might have been two years old at the time. We don't really know. Yeah. But he went into the house. So still, Bethlehem still still kind of a backwater town, mm-hmm. and it's where David was from. So that's mm-hmm. kind of his claim to fame, but it wasn't a city by any means. Mm-hmm. And it was a cave, like they had caves, It's a very hilly area, and there's caves. And if you ever go to Bethlehem, they have, where Jesus was born, there's a cave underneath the Church of the Nativity, and in the Shepherd's Field, there's a cave next to the field. And there's a place called the White Grotto, where Mary supposedly nursed the baby Jesus in this mm-hmm. grotto, and it's a cave. So it's a lot of caves. So these men came from the East and they traveled and they kneeled down and Mm worship this child, you know, so just the humility, just in that to think that these rich men came, brought these gifts and bowed down and worshiped them. So, I mean, they knew where their prior, they had their priorities straight. They knew even though they were from earthly designs, you know, from earthly, through earthly eyes, you see them, they're the king of the world. You know what I mean? Like they're on top of the world, Mm -hmm. but really, this child in this crib here, he is the king of the universe. And they recognize that. Mm-hmm. And that's their, you know, to their credit. They recognize that when the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem didn't recognize, didn't even make the trip to Judah, Bethlehem. You know, the same with St. Nicholas. He he was willing to give it all up mm-hmm. to become a priest and then to become a bishop. And through that, he fought for orthodoxy, like I said, at the council of Nicaea. So it all kind of, if you follow God's will, your path will take you where God wills you to go. And so that's he was meant to be there to stand up strongly for the orthodoxy of the proper Christology, you know, and that's and we have him to thank to this day. Yeah. Well, that's three twenty-five, what is that? Seventeen hundred years ago, yeah. and to this day we're still saying every Sunday, you know, yeah. you got he'd constant angels from the Father, you know.
0: The gifts that were given at um, hmm. given to the baby uh, Jesus, and I know this because there are several paintings which suggest that uh, Jesus was. Uh, not a baby but not not even an infant he was probably right. much older yeah uh, because they keep referring to him as sitting on his mother's lap so right he's a much bigger child but yeah what, what is the significance of the gifts that you know what what is the significance of the gold and the myrrh and the frankincense uh that was given to him
1: right uh well gold obviously i mean we know what gold is <laughs> Gold's been currency for the you know since the beginning of time but uh, frankincense and myrrh is kind of lost in modern culture, especially. Mm-hmm. You don't really know it. But frankincense is like an incense mm-hmm. that is uh, used. It was used to, uh, in Isaiah, actually, there was uh, Gentiles brought frankincense and gold to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. Mm-hmm. So the gold is an offering. It's a monetary tribute, obviously. But the frankincense is like an incense, like burning incense. Uh, and usually in the Old Testament, especially incense signify prayers going up to heaven. So the priest would burn incense on the altar and it would go up to heaven. And even in Revelation, when John is seeing the vision of heaven, he sees the incense, these bowls of incense being offered as the prayers of the saints. Mm-hmm. So incense has, and even today, you know, if you go to mass or a funeral, I know my mother has, uh, she has kind of an aversion to incense. It gives her bad, like a okay. But at my grandfather's funeral, uh, she asked the priest, you know, can we go, can we cut out the incense? And he said, no, it's part of the funeral rite. Yeah. I have to do the incense because it represents the prayers of the people rising with his soul heaven. It's got a lot of symbolism to it. Mm-hmm. So even today, incense still has symbolism. Frankincense is, you know, a big ingredient in incense. Yeah. Myrrh, myrrh was a, uh, myrrh, I read that myrrh was like a sap from a certain kind of tree in the Middle East. Okay. And uh, it kind of hardened. And it was used in uh, anointing oil. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was used to anoint in John, actually it says in John, uh, towards the end of John, you know, when they're burying Jesus, actually he gets to down on the cross that They anointed his body with myrrh, mm-hmm. so it was an, an, an anointment. And uh, you know, it was you know, Saint Irenaeus. He said that the three gifts represent: the gold represents royalty, because that's like the tribute that you give to the king. Yeah. The frankincense represents the divinity of Christ, yeah. and the myrrh represents the humanity and the burial. Yeah. You know. So I thought that was a really good way to look at it. Yeah, it was. It,
0: it's a really nice way when he says um, uh, it's to represent King God and suffering Redeemer. As well as virtue, prayer,
1: and suffering. I mean, that was very deep. I mean, I did not ever think of, you know, for me, they were just gifts. To me, it was just gifts, yeah. It was, was, hey, what do you got around the house? I'm going to bring some gold. I'm going to bring some frankincense. Yeah, to me, it never really did have meaning, but every single word in the Bible has meaning.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and really, if you dig deep into it, and the the catechism tells us that every line in the Bible has four senses, in the moral sense, allegorical sense, spiritual sense, Mm -hmm. and the literal sense. Mm -hmm. So, literally, they gave him three gifts. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the allegorical sense is, uh, you know, the royalty, divinity, humanity. And then Saint Gregory the Great said that the, the moral of it is the goal is Christ's wisdom that mm-hmm. you know radiates through us. And mm-hmm. the frankincense is prayers and adoration that we offer to God mm-hmm. through Christ, you know, to Christ. And the myrrh is our own, our death to self, anointing ourselves, our death to self, and our mm-hmm. daily sufferings that we unite with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another good way of looking at it too. But yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of really digging into scripture is there's so much there. Even just one sentence, they brought Frankenstein's yeah. gold of myrrh
0: has
1: so much depth to it.
0: In fact, I, I haven't really uh, thought about the story of, about the Three Kings at all. I mean, I, fact, right. I, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, I didn't know so much existed about them and there was so much to, to read about what they did uh, because there were just a few lines there. In right, the yeah, book. just, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's literally like five verses, six verses. It isn't yeah. entirely any. And they, uh, they make a short appearance and then they disappear. Yeah. They didn't even go back to Jerusalem on their way home because <laughs> yeah. God appeared to them in a dream. Yeah. Told them, Hey, that guy Herod, he ain't a good guy. Don't go back to Jerusalem. You know, because hey, I love in the first, in the very first line in the second chapter, is the you know it's uh third, you know, the third line that says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Mm-hmm. Because Herod was such a bloodthirsty man, he had already killed two or three. By this point, he had already killed two or three of his own sons, mm-hmm. that he thought had you know yeah. designed on his throne. So then the people here hold on. There's a king of the Jews, and it's not Herod or his sons. So they all went to panic, basically, <laughs> you know, the whole city, because they thought this is going to be a bloodbath, and it did. It ended up being a bloodbath, but not in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. Mm. And if you go to uh, Bethlehem, right outside the Church of the Nativity, they have this uh, kind of reliquary, mm. and it's uh, it's bones. It, it looks like children's bones, oh, and okay. it's a, it's a, it's a memorial to the, you know, the hundreds or thousands of children that were slaughtered in Bethlehem. Mm. I don't know if it's their actual. I really didn't have a plaque explaining mm-hmm. it very much, but it was really moving when you see it, because, you know, you read about things and things that happened thousands of years ago, and you are mm-hmm. kind of disconnected by time and space yeah. from it, but that was a real event, those were real children, those were real parents. Mm-hmm. It's really sad when you think about it.
0: And, and it, it, it also proves that um, men can really be brutal. I mean, when it comes oh, to yeah. greed and when it comes to power, we can really be blinded by certain things. and we do anything to keep keep that?
1: Yeah, anything to hold on to that power, and he ended up dying. Herod didn't last much longer after Jesus was born because they go off to Egypt. And it doesn't say how long they were there, but they were off in Egypt and then they were back. It doesn't say exactly, but when Jesus was 12, so less than 10 years. Mm -hmm. But A lot of scholars say that Herod died. They say Jesus was born maybe 3, 4 BC. Mm -hmm. The calendar was kind of off and they developed the calendar later on. But 3, 4 BC was when Jesus was born. And then Herod died in 1 or 2 BC. Mm -hmm. So it was only a couple years later that Herod died, according to history. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... All that, killing his sons and killing all the children in Bethlehem, and yeah. done no good. Yeah. You know, in the end, we all have to, it says in Hebrew, appointed a man to die once and then a judgment. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to be here <laughs> on judgment day. The major were actually warned in a dream, right, about
0: yeah. not going back.
1: Yeah, about don't go back. And yeah, dreams play a big role, too, in Matthew, if you notice. And Matthew doesn't have the Annunciation like Luke does. Yeah, yeah. Because it, when you read Luke, the infancy narratives in Luke, the first couple chapters, mm-hmm. it's obvious that uh, the Virgin Mary is his source for what he's writing, you know, because he says a few different times, that, and then she pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm, you know? yeah. So it's kind of, he was probably sitting down with Mary afterwards, and writing down, he was using her as a source. But Matthew doesn't have any of that. Yeah. But Matthew does have Joseph being told in a dream mm. that Jesus is is born of God. Don't worry about taking Mary into your home. This baby's gonna be the Savior and call him Emmanuel. And then the Magi have a dream, don't go back through Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then Joseph has another dream when he to go to Egypt. Yeah. And then when he's in Egypt he had a dream to come back from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then coming back from Egypt he has a dream, don't stop in Bethlehem, because there's a new ruler that's more bloodthirsty than the earlier one, go to mm-hmm. Galilee, because it was, you know, relatively more free in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And you're having an easier time up there, so he went up there. But it's if you think about it too, Matthew was written towards a Jewish audience, and dreams yeah. played a big part, you know, especially in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph with the dreams, and Abraham had dreams, and yeah. all these different things. So it really, Matthew really plays with the whole dream aspect of it, you know, God appearing through dreams.
0: Since we're talking about giving gifts from the Magi, from Saint Nicholas, uh, what are some of the, some of the ideas that you have about putting Christ back into Christmas? Uh, not just for uh, kids and adults too, because uh, we somehow have lost we've lost this um, tradition of, mm-hmm. of Christmas. It's now Exodus. It's now giftness. It's now everything, but you know, yeah. but, but, a best best. aspect. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how do we do, how do we reverse this trend um, in a family kind of way?
1: Right. I think the, the best way to put Christ back into Christmas is to put Christ back into your daily life. 365 to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, because it isn't just it. Christianity isn't just a religion of the book. You know, we're not just a religion of reading a bunch of words or going and saying certain prayers or doing certain tasks or chores or offering sacrifices the Roman pagans, like just go offer a couple of goats and you're fine. (laughs) Ours is a religion of encounter. You know, Pope Benedict XVI said that that religion, Christianity, centers on a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And without that, I know myself personally, I converted to Catholicism Mm -hmm. in my heart like 10 years ago, but it took... Took a while to get through the whole actual getting to the conversion process, mm-hmm. but when I first started RCIA, it was purely an intellectual thing for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I believed, you know, I believed what they said, and I believed in the doctrines of the church, and okay, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was through the RCIA process, and through the constant praying, and the prayers as groups, and the prayers by the priests, and the prayers as a, a community, that, mm-hmm. and then I started praying and daily, and daily, increasing my prayer. But I really had a personal encounter with Jesus, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not just intellectual pursuit the way that like i know thomas jefferson yeah. you know or i know abraham lincoln or i know these people from history i know them through their you know through what i've read about them i know jesus because i've encountered him mm-hmm. and i think that's that's the number one thing is you have to have an encounter with jesus christ you have to put him right. to the center of your life all year long and then doing it for christmas comes easy because you know, it just, it's another one of the 365 days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think because I heard the priest say, uh, my priest say last year, my, uh, father Robert, he said that, you know, everyone was here for Christmas and they had you know, 10 masses at my church and I attended outside for the overflow. And he said, just so you know, there's 52 Sundays in the year and we're open for all other. <laughs> we're still here. So come on back. So I mean, that's the thing, too. Is invite someone to come with you to Christmas Mass. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to get people to come on Christmas and Easter. That's the easy one. Yeah. But then invite them on Epiphany. Invite them, you know, Christ the King. Invite them on these different feast days and holidays that we celebrate become the, the bigger and more festive, not just an everyday Sunday. You should be going to church every Sunday anyway. But if you really put Christ at the center of your life, you'll want to go to church every Sunday. Yeah. It isn't an obligation. It's an opportunity. And I think that's where it really has to be, is we have to really focus more on Jesus Christ. Another thing, too, like, if you have kids, uh, yeah. a nice a nice thing I like to do, because, you know, we all have the Advent calendars with the chalk on it and stuff like yeah. that for the kids. <laughs> and it really, Advent completely loses its meaning in, you know, the modern world. It just becomes the countdown to Christmas. Yeah. And yeah. You know, really, the countdown to Christmas starts in, on Halloween. I remember going to a store mm-hmm. on All Saints Day, you know, November 1st, and they had Christmas stuff. Up, and I said, what happened? When the, when did they start? Fourth of July is over, and Halloween decorations go up, and then Halloween's over, and Christmas it's Like, we yeah. live in a constant holiday. Yeah. And, you know, the Advent season has completely, but I think if we really kind of bring back Advent mm, yeah. and, you know, really celebrate that, because, that, you know, there's the dual aspect of Advent. There's the, the groaning anticipation of the Messiah coming that Israel waited for. That's why a lot of the readings are from uh, Isaiah for the first yeah. reading, you know, like, you know, that kind of the, the Messiah is coming. And then the, the gospel reading usually is like uh, John the Baptist out preparing away in the wilderness or things like that. And then also the other aspect of it is Christ will come again, yeah. you know, and we forget that sometimes, yeah. you know, our, our uh, evangelical brethren, don't forget that. They remind us, <laughs> they remind <laughs> us every day, but you know, especially more uh, liturgical Christians, you know, Catholics, Methodists, Lutherans, we can kind of forget
0: the that Christ
1: is returning. Yeah. That's yeah. A, the long-term goal here is returning to Christ. And even, you know, when this, the priest says, our father, he says, "As we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our savior Jesus Christ. And then the memorial acclamation during the Eucharistic prayer is Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Mm-hmm. And I think if we bring back Advent and really celebrate Advent the way it's supposed to be, four weeks of joyful anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the you know, the memorial of it, the coming of the Messiah in Bethlehem, twenty one hundred years two thousand years ago, and also the anticipation of the imminent return of Christ, because mm-hmm. catechism tells us that since Ascension Thursday, fifty days or whatever it was, ten days after Pentecost. Since Ascension Thursday, the return of Christ has been imminent, and it still is. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Jesus could come back tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now, but He will return because He's good to His word. Yeah. And so I think if we bring back Advent yeah. and make it not just about opening a little cardboard calendar and getting a piece of chocolate, mm-hmm. yeah. and make it more about the actual, this is this is why we're doing this. And then I like to take and read, uh, you know, we like the Advent wreath on uh, you know every Sunday of Advent, and whenever we get together as a family on yeah. you know, nighttime. And read a little bit from Isaiah, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, from the Book of Consolation in Isaiah. That's when Isaiah was telling them, you know, you're going to be taken off into captivity in Babylon, but don't worry, here's why. And the, the why was Messiah. So I'll read like a couple of verses from each one of them or read John the Baptist saying, you know, prepare away in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Or even Jesus, when he got up in Nazareth and he said, you know, this has been, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Mm-hmm. You know, when he read that from the scroll of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I like to read a lot of Isaiah during Advent. And just a little bit every night with the kids. And it really kind of, it makes it less of a countdown and more of just kind of a, you know, they're focused on, it isn't about, you know, in 21 days we get to open our presents. In 19 yeah. days we get, in, in more, it's in 20 days Jesus is coming. And so that's, I think it really, it centers the mind more on what Christmas really is all about. I mean, Christians say that all the time too. And Christmas is all about Jesus. And he's the reason for the season, all these catchy little catchphrases. Yeah, but then we fall under the, you know, the commercialism of just buying tons of gifts and not really thinking about the actual literal reason for the season
0: and there's a i I don't know when the when advent begins the uh, readings all change to be more watchful more more Mm -hmm. alert the time is coming the sense of urgency is far more than you would have at easter or any other time oh yeah
1: especially the last few sundays leading up to advent
0: yeah
1: the readings are because that's the end of the liturgical year because the first first sunday of advent is the first you know the happy new year for the liturgical calendar so, then, last few Sundays really about the last things. You know, it's virgins being left outside with the lamps. It's yeah. the uh, the talents, the, the parable of the talents, it's all these different parables that Jesus told because the end is coming. And even last Sunday, the second reading yeah. was from the uh, second Peter. Yeah, remember it was uh, no nope, these people that say that Jesus isn't coming back. Don't listen to yeah. them because he's coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was a, uh, a heresy spreading around that Peter was writing about, mm-hmm. saying that they didn't have to. Don't worry about it. Jesus isn't returning, and he was saying no. Things have happened. Like They were saying that nothing ever happens. God doesn't ever judge people and the world's going to go on continuing on like it always had. He reminded them of the flood. He reminded them of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's mm-hmm. been judgments in the past mm-hmm. and this present age will come to an end at some point in time. We don't know yeah. the day or the time. Yeah. But when it does, watch and be ready.
0: And and one of the aspects of being ready is the sacrament of reconciliation and <laughs> yeah, uh, f- for some reason we a lot of Catholics do that only twice a year but then right.
1: I don't know why either. It's such a... A gift. I dreaded it when I was converting because I was baptized at three weeks old yeah. in a Presbyterian church in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I was baptized at three weeks old. I converted. I was 30. I, think I was 31 or 32 at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's a span of 30 years. Now I have to go in. And first off, I have to make a list because I can't remember all this and sitting thinking back. Oh, yeah, I done this. I done that making a list. Now I have to go and tell the priest all this. And when I went in, I dreaded it too. This really was holding me back. I said, I can't do this. I can't do it. I went into Father Marino and I had this list in front of me, an actual list, like a Santa Claus list. And, and I read them all off and he looked and said, Okay, is that it? I said, Yeah, that's it. He said, Okay. For your parents, I can't remember what it was. You know, yeah. and say an act of contrition. Yeah. All right. Then he prayed the prayer of absolution over me yeah. and it was like a weight was lifted off me. But yeah. when he said, That is that it? I couldn't believe it. Like, I thought he was going to punch me when I was done. <laughs> But it really is. I don't know why people don't utilize it more often. It's such a gift to hear, you know, through the ministry of the church, I grant you peace and pardon. But I, I just love that the whole the prayer of absolution. Mm-hmm. God sent His Son into the world for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, I grant you peace and pardon, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's just like the second I hear that, it's, like, you know? mm-hmm. it's like I feel like a feather. Yeah,
0: and you feel good about it, and th- and that's the thing that the God's oh yeah. Bringing. I mean. And so we should be able to it's, give it, yeah. we should give away that mercy freely to other people since we've received right. it at no cost. Uh-huh. But we still struggle on, on both aspects, receiving that gift for free and giving it freely to other people as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Everyone walking out of confession has a spring in their step. Yeah. the second they get in the parking lot, if someone cuts them off, they don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I get that. That's a hard one. Forgiveness is a hard one because you get it so, you get it for free and you'll be good away and
0: yeah.
1: Forgive <laughs> us, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Yeah. Right, Lord's prayer. Yeah, it's a tough one. But I guess that's just human nature, but that is the struggle <laughs> is real. You know, I said the struggle is real with that one, yeah. forgive others as yeah. we've been forgiven, because how have we been forgiven? Totally, freely, without cost. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: You know, so that's what Jesus said: forgive others as you have been forgiven. Yeah. He didn't forgive us with a running tally. There's yeah. no tab that we have to pay. Yeah. You know, there's no like we don't have to say ten thousand hail marys. We've been forgiven. Like, it's yeah. free. And so then we have to forgive others in that same manner. And that's so difficult sometimes. Yeah. But it has to be done.
0: Yeah, it has to be done. And uh, the sacrament of reconciliation, if you can get it done in uh, December, you can actually start incorporating it through, you know, making it a habit regularly. Because three months later, it's going to be uh, lent. And then mm-hmm. three months later, you can always do it again. So you can start with Advent and make it a part of your spiritual...
1: Yeah, try. uh for the last few years since I was receiving the church, I've tried to go at least, I tried to go weekly, but it's just hard because a lot of mm-hmm. churches only have it for like an hour on Saturday and an hour on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And so it's difficult. If you can get near, a, in America, they have Newman Centers uh, by college campuses, like oh, a okay. Catholic Center, and usually a Newman Center has like seven days a week confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> college students need a lot of confession. Okay. and uh, But if you can get to a Newman Center close by, uh, I was in New the Mexico, there was one close by, but in Arizona... The closest mm-hmm. one to me is like 20 miles away, so it's kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. But uh, I try to go every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I found out that John Paul II would go almost daily. Because mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't just have to be mortal sins. Like, you yeah. can confess venial sins. Yeah. You know? But The, the act of contrition and the beginning of Mass mm-hmm. absolves you of your venial sins, and mm-hmm. so does receiving the Eucharist. But you can go, you know, if you're struggling with something yeah. like uh, anger issues or greed or lust or envy or whatever, if you're struggling with that, you can go and talk to the priest. Yeah. and They usually give pretty good advice, too. Yeah. I was told uh, a couple of years ago, I was, mm-hmm. it might have been last year, I went in and I confessed that I lost my temper with my children again. You know? mm-hmm. They were bickering back and forth my eight-year-old and six-year-old and fighting, oh, no, 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 fighting yeah. in the backseat and I just yelled, stop it! And I felt uh-huh. bad because everyone went dead quiet in the car. <laughs> so I said, all right. Anyway, really, I mean, it wasn't a mortal sin, but it was just, yeah. as I struggle with, it's just, you know, anger issues and people cut you off in traffic, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, the priest told me the struggle against sin is difficult, but it's worth it. Always fight against the temptations. Always fight against the urges. Always, you know, kick against them. Don't give in to them because the struggle is worth it, and you can overcome with yeah. Jesus. I that was just great advice. No matter what you're going through, I mean, if you're an alcoholic or if you've got, like I said, gambling problem, whatever, struggle against it. Don't just give in to it. Don't just say, "Oh, that's who I am." You know, fight it. Yeah, that's kind of. With the sacrament of reconciliation and receiving the Eucharist too, because that strengthens you too. Yeah, yeah. If you if you do that and you fight against it with the grace that God gives you, you can overcome. You don't overcome it. Jesus overcomes it. But you can. You have to. You have to pitch in. You have to get your, you know, roll up your sleeves. You're in the trenches.
0: Apart from Him, you can do nothing.
1: Right. And with Him and you can do anything. <laughs>
0: anything. Yeah. Right. Since you uh, you spoke about um, adding prayer, can you just give a few tips on how?
1: small things that people can do gradually to increase breadline. Like Right. Right. I, uh, someone, I can't remember what it was uh, on Facebook or something, someone said, if you had, this is you know, right when I first started, I said, hey, Mm -hmm. I first seen this. If you had today, Mm -hmm. just the only things you had today was the things you thank God for yesterday, would you be rich or poor? You know? And Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, like, I wouldn't have anything. (laughs) I (laughs) I never, I didn't thank God for the clothes on my back yesterday. And so I would just be standing out in the field with nothing. But mm-hmm. yeah. So I started being more thankful and really thinking about it. And uh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, there was a priest that was a, came by to teach one of the class at RCIA. And he taught us. He said the nuns taught him when he was young. I guess it was a common thing back in the day. But I had never heard it before. And it was ACTS. A-C-T-S. It was uh, adoration. Like this is like when you enter into prayer. You're going to pray. Mm-hmm. Like, take 10 minutes in the morning and do this. And oh, yeah. A- Adoration. So just, you know, adore God and just spend a few moments, you know, praising God. And then, uh, C was contrition. So just for mm-hmm. whatever you've done, you know, ask for forgiveness for any kind of sins or any kind of failings you've had. Mm-hmm. And then T was thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So just thank God for whatever you have, everything you have, like just mm-hmm. the pillow you slept on, the blankets you have, you know, the clothes on your back, the sunshine. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, S was supplication. So then ask God for whatever it is you need. But I thought it was a good ordering because yeah. You know, the adoration comes first before anything, God is God. And just the fact that he is God, is deserving of our, our worship. Yeah. And then and then the contrition, then the thanksgiving, and at the end is a supplication. Because a lot of times people start out prayer with, dear God, I need.
0: Supplication.
1: Right. It starts out with a supplication. I mean, if you have a pressing urgent need, that's fine. But if that's your daily prayer life, and you're just asking God for things, like he's a genie that you can just rub the lamb and get whatever you want, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong. So just take ten minutes and go through that ACTS: acts mm-hmm. Adoration, Contrition, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I had never heard of it before at all. It was like a light bulb off in my head <laughs> when he said it. I said like, this is terrific. You should write a book on this. And he was like, yeah, someone already did write the book. I think it was Teresa of Avila. He was based on or something. You know, I said this is terrific. So that I've incorporated that every day since then. Mm-hmm. And just when you wake up in the morning, before you check your emails or before whatever, mm-hmm. say you know, say five minutes. Just pray for five minutes and a few minutes with God. Mm-hmm. It's worth it.
0: And, and that ties in with um, the, the three wise men as well, because the one of the reasons I read somewhere was uh, they were mentioned in Matthew was because of the fact that they, uh, they adored uh, right. the Christ. And we have lost that meaning of adoration. We we, we don't do adoration anymore. But uh, one of the things that were said they were mentioned was because of the significance of their adoration of, yeah. uh, of the Savior. So...
1: Yeah. I mean in, in Matthew's gospel because in Luke's gospel we have the shepherds coming in and you kneeling know, before him, you know. Yeah. In Matthew's gospel we have the wise men, and they're the first to recognize him because they went to Herod and they, they became yeah. the Jews, so they knew he was the Messiah. So they were the first to recognize him as that, and then they bowed down and worshipped him. Mm. So they didn't just bring this golden and frankincense and myrrh for an earthly king. He don't worship yeah. an earthly king. Mm. They they said they bow down like they prostrate themselves yeah. before him and worshiped him. Mm. That's that's pretty pretty good, like I said, that these successful men will come and bow down yeah. that baby.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that also points, um, it makes you think, I mean, what is the quality of your own worship time? What is right. the quality of my own time when I worship? What, what am I doing? I mean, am I really worshipping? So I guess they teach you a lot of worship and adoration, which we don't think about so much in today's today's prayer time, if we make the time to even right. pray that much, yeah?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really like the highest form of worship for Catholic, especially yeah. Is the mass, yeah. and how often do people go to mass and just kind of stand, sit, stand, sit, kneel, stand, sit? Yeah. And then they're just kind of punching in like a time card, like someone at a job that they hate, yeah. <laughs> you know, just showing up. trying to make the donuts, like the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Yeah. They're not not really there for they're it, not you know, right? Not really work because they're not worshiping with their heart. Because Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well that you have to worship in spirit and in truth, so you have to worship with your your heart has to be in it to really be worshipping God. If you're just there and just going through the motions, you're not worshipping God. You're just showing up on somebody. Which, I mean, don't stop showing up on somebody. Keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, and, don't. yeah, and eventually, you know, it'll break through. Because there, there was people in my RCIA class that was uh, an older couple and he'd gone to church with his wife for 50 years and now he was deciding to convert. us so why he decided to convert. He's because it he finally got through to me. Mm. You know, and he was a 70-year-old man. So, mm. it does, it can break through. So, keep doing it. But, Give it some thought while you're doing it. Don't just show up. Don't just punch in your time card. Mm-hmm. Come in and actually, you know, because you're an amazing thing, especially the Mass is heaven on earth. Yeah. You know, we're, we're pulling back the veil, and this is heavenly worship we're witnessing, and we're yeah. taking part in. You know, it's uh, the representation of Christ on mm-hmm. Calvary. So it really is. It's an amazing mystical experience when you really think mm-hmm. about it. But if you don't think about it, it's just a guy in a weird purple robe up there <laughs> during Advent. And he's up at the altar, and he's you know, talking about something you don't really understand because you never read the Bible. Mm. And then he talks for five minutes, and then we kneel back down again, and we say our Father, kneel again, take communion, and go home, watch a football game. Yeah. So if that's all you're putting into it, that's all you're going to get out of it.
0: And, and that's the thing. Uh, we don't we don't contemplate on what we're really doing. And there's so much meaning in... in um, I, I've been reading some... I think it was The Cloud of Unknowing. And there's so much... Um, to contemplative prayer that I didn't know existed and it meant just staying still because there was this verse that explained that um, Jesus told Mary she'd chosen the best of what they were doing and Martha just sitting there Jesus' feet, right yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he never says she chose the better he says she chose the best which means sitting at the feet Of the Savior is the best thing that you can do instead of getting busy with all the other activities and and all that other stuff. And I I never really knew that because I didn't even know that such form of prayer existed.
1: Yeah, that's why adoration is really like adoration chapels are popping up all over. All over in America, yeah. I read a a story about in Juarez, Mexico, Mm -hmm. you know, with the drug cartels and the wars and everything going on down there. It was really bad. And they open an adoration chapel, 24-hour adoration. Yeah. And the Bishop of Juarez credits that, because in Juarez, right, like the drug war is still going on in Mexico, but Juarez isn't nearly as bad as it was before. Yeah. And he credits uh, the adoration
0: yeah. chapel. I, I can testify to this, because uh, in Kuwait, we had a single cathedral that was just there for the last 20 years. Uh-huh. Uh, the moment we had, a, uh, I think it was a charismatic preacher who came in and said, we need 24-hour adoration, and we started that, and we have five churches in Kuwait right now. Right. That was in that was in three years of having 24 hours adoration. It just changed the way things things were. The church changed.
1: Yeah. When I first became Catholic, too, it was a weird thing. Like we're just gonna go sit in this room and everyone be quiet. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. But it's grown on me a lot. And I have uh, friends in Texas that just opened an adoration chapel at their parish. Oh. And uh, you know, they really say it's bearing you know good fruit there oh, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to see that more here uh, where I live uh, currently. There's my parish. They've increased the adoration times. Now there's an adoration chapel, and it's not 24 hours, but it's I think it's like 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. seven wow, days that's a week. Good. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. so it's not 24 hours yet, but it's getting there. You know, the, the yeah. priests that we uh, that we have in our parish now, it's a new uh a religious order from Africa, the Apostle okay. of Jesus, and uh, the the, par- the pastor he really is focused on the Eucharist, and uh, he actually renovated the inside of the church because it was built in the 80s, and so they had the tabernacle off to the side and stuff, oh. and he moved it back behind the altar and refurbished mm-hmm. behind the altars. It kind of looks more like a high, like a traditional high altar now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we got adoration in the main church on Wednesdays and then in the chapel. Mm-hmm. Six days a weekend. I don't think it's on Sundays. But, yeah. uh, no, it's, it's growing. And it's good too, because it's the more vibrant parishes around the world have adoration. Yeah, I think it's really, it, it energizes the people, the parish, yeah. uh, the whole diocese really. When diocese yeah. really focuses on adoration. Because what are you doing? You're adoring God for who He is, God. Mm-hmm. And you're not, You're just being in the presence of God. Like, just like I said, like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And like I said, it was a very strange thing to me when I first became Catholic, but there's so many different prayer traditions. You don't even have to be Catholic to take advantage of a lot of them, really, because they're ancient. You know, there's been 2,000 years of Christianity and we have the longest history, but you know, you can be a Lutheran or a Presbyterian and do, you know, contemplative prayer, meditative prayer, pray the rosary or the chapel of divine mercy or you know the chapel of St. Michael, all these different mm-hmm. prayer yeah. traditions that we have. And you don't have to do all of them. You don't have to do any of them really. You can yeah. pick your own one, but find one that works for you. You know, that's important. That's, there's so many different, cause there's so many different flavors out there. Yeah. Some people, I can't do the whole meditative prayer and contemplative prayer. It doesn't, my mind's racing too much, yeah. but I can do like Dio Divina, you know, like yeah. reading the Bible and you know, reading this one line of scripture and just really meditate on one line. And, uh, same priest that told me the ACTS acronym, he told me, uh, he taught us how to do Lectio Domino, but a little bit different. He said, read it the first time, just like you would, read it the second time as if you're kind of like a bird's eye view of watching it from like the sky, and then the third time read it and pick out a person in the story. You know, like you're like Jesus is calling the disciples, you're just a fisherman standing next to St. Andrew when and he calls them, and what would you think if you've seen that happen? Like you're there in the story. It really changes the way you read things, especially the Gospels. And you just kind of meditate on that. And I can do that all day long. Because yeah. it's more of a doing thing. I can't really do the sit and be quiet thing. That's harder for me. But yeah, there's so many different things. You just pick and choose what you want. And just, it's like a smorgasbord of creator options. It's really a wonderful selection
0: hope you enjoyed today's show i know i did because i learned so much of information that i didn't know about the three wise men before and if you did too if you enjoyed this show if you enjoyed today's podcast then share your comments tell us about it on our twitter or facebook or on my website like us on soundcloud itunes stitcher or even tune in wherever you heard us it would be really nice to hear from you now on to our uh, christmas giveaway so agnes amos coleman has uh, generously. Uh, sponsored our show for today and she's giving away five e-copies to five of our lucky listeners all you have to do is go to my website which is www.pamelaqfernandez.com forward slash podcast and at the end of the post there is a rafflecopter widget now there you can sign up for a copy until the 31st of december and then via lucky dip or lucky draw we will remove Uh, Or we will pick, rather, five uh, lucky winners who will get an e-copy from Agnes herself about this book. And uh, she will get in touch with you and give you these five copies on the 1st of uh, January, which is next year. I can't believe it's next year already. But um, for everyone who wants to know, this book is basically uh, about insight into singleness, marriage and divorce. And it's basically free on Kindle Unlimited. So if you feel there's someone who needs this book, somebody who's encountering roadblocks um, in the areas of singleness, marriage, separation or divorce, then you could always give them this book as a gift because it would really uh, benefit them. Agnes has written this book uh, from her heart because she's experienced each of these situations. This is uh, written from her personal experience. She's also donating 90% of the proceeds from this book to charity. Take a look at her book on Amazon. Or you could also sign up for her free e-copy on my website. So thank you to Agnes for sponsoring today's show. And uh, we wish her all the best for the future as well. Now to my Christmas wishes. Well, yeah, I want to wish everybody warm, happy, blessed safe christmas and a very joyous new year from my family to yours i wish you a really really happy uh, christmas wish you all the joys of a beautiful season and i hope you have a really blessed time with your families hope you have a renewed sense of hope through the birth of christ and i hope jesus is reborn again in your families and wherever you are in your parishes in your communities in your homes, in your neighborhoods, uh, in your cities, in your countries. We need a new revival, as you know. And I just hope that the whole of next year again is filled with hope, filled with promise, and filled with a renewed sense of Christian mission. So thank you so much for staying with us this year. And when we see you, it's going to be 2018. So Feliz Navidad to everybody. Christmas Mubarak. Buon Natale. Have a wonderful Christmas season, everybody. Bye-bye and God bless you.